ahead and open in a word of prayer, and then we'll we'll jump right into it. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for uh, all that we're doing, all that we've learned uh, through this book, uh, an amazing book of encouragement. Lord, I pray, Father, it would uh, continue just to seep deep into our hearts and our minds, as especially as we're talking about finding joy in our circumstances. Lord God, we look at the world around us and first and foremost, we need to trust in you, press into you. And, and uh, Father, I ask that as we continue to pursue our, our life and our, our situation, Lord God, that we would really take to heart your word and what it means to find our joy, to find our contentment uh, and purpose in this world around us that uh, seemingly day by day is just one step closer to the end. But Lord, uh, again, we, we have that perspective but we trust in you as, as sovereign, as Lord, who knows exactly what's going on, who is exactly allowing uh, what needs to be done uh, to shape uh, your plan and, and purpose for not only our lives, but your kingdom. So, Lord, uh, our prayer is that we would keep our eyes heavenward and focused on you at all times. So bless our conversation and our learning tonight, Lord God. Again, may we eliminate any distractions or Anything from our, our mind or our heart now as we hear from you, and may we hear you and you alone, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So as Paul truly concludes uh, his letter now to uh, the Philippian church, um, a lot of good stuff in here. Probably, again, one of the more uh, well-known, famous passages of scripture uh, that a lot of people will recite and a lot of people will use. It'll be their source of strength. It'll be their source of encouragement. Uh when they're feeling as if maybe things are falling apart, the world is against them, whatever it might be. And that's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know a lot of uh, student athletes will have that on their letterman jacket <laughs> or, uh, you know, use that for their, you know, uh, before a game or, or whatever else. But regardless, so let's, let's kind of look at this passage of scripture. And, and again, remember kind of where we left off last week, we, we talked about five things of, uh, five marks of a, a Christian and a, and a follower of Jesus. Again, it was rejoice always, show patience or gentleness. I think the word Paul used was forbearance to all people, praying always in all circumstances, thinking on the things of God, and then five, practice those things. 
So our, our kind of final call last week was get to work, right? So as we move forward into this final passage here, uh, Paul bringing it to a conclusion says, again, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. So again, using that word rejoice, that even in his circumstance, don't forget that he's in prison. You know, he's waiting trial, but yet he's finding joy uh, in his fellow believers in the church in Philippi. He's finding joy that they had thought about him. He's finding joy that they had sent gifts to him through uh, those other people. But again, he said in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And that word content is the focal point of this passage tonight and really the focal point of uh, the entire letter. I know we said it was a letter of finding joy in all circumstances, but the only way that you've been able to find joy in whatever circumstance you're in, good or bad, rich or poor, uh, all the other wedding vow lines, uh, is because you have contentment. And contentment needs to be discussed, and, and we're going to do that tonight. So he's feeling blessed by his fellow laborers. Remember when we talked about uh, partnership in the gospel, uh, fellowship in the work of the gospel. So Paul is again reiterating that. Our rejoicing should come from uh, the thought and love and compassion from people, regardless of what the gift is. You know, and that's what he's saying. He says, I, I, I didn't necessarily need your gift. He's, I'm appreciative, I'm thankful for it, but it's not that I needed it to move forward in where God has me. But because you thought about me, because you showed love to me, because you showed compassion by sending your gift to me in my circumstance, the mere fact that you thought about me and then sent something to help, he says, that's what I can rejoice in. And so, uh, again, it wasn't being satisfied by the material gift, whatever it was. And we don't really know. It could have been finances. It could have been something else. We don't really know. But again, I think that's the point. It doesn't really matter what the gift is. It was the love and compassion and fellowship that he had with his fellow believers. So Paul, what he said, though, very clearly is he had to learn to be content. Did you guys catch that in there? Just for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So what does that tell us? Contentment doesn't come easy. It doesn't come automatically. Contentment is something that's learned, and it's learned through what? Life experience. Uh, the things that we go through, the good times, the bad times, that molding and shaping uh, the Lord, uh, transforming our heart and our mind. Uh, it, for those of us that are keeping our eyes fixed on him, continuing to move forward in faith, those experiences are learning experiences, just like uh, in whatever career God has brought us in, there is uh, a learning curve. You, you, know, you learn in your job and you only get better and better and better as time goes on, because as time goes on, you're going to make mistakes, but you're going to learn from those mistakes as long as you keep pressing on, right? And are willing to, to learn and willing to be taught. So that's what Paul's saying here. You know, the same Paul that said, you know, but prior to life in Christ, I was blameless. I was the best of the best. I was the greatest of Pharisees. I, I was a keeper of the law. And he called himself blameless as if he kept all the laws. Um, not that he was perfect, but that he was blameless. So if he did mess up, immediately took care of it and continued to press on. So here Paul is saying now, I had to learn to be content. And I think that's a strong, but yet valuable concept for us to grab onto. Uh, is that being content in our circumstances uh, is not automatic. And so when we fall into our emotions, we fall into uh, 
fleshly uh, desires or a way of thinking or whatever else. It's those moments that if we can, again, uh, using Paul's words, take those thoughts captive, as, as we've talked about, you know, those are the learning moments, you know. And so, again, but it takes time. It takes schooling. It's those life experiences that are going to teach you to be content, again, regardless of your circumstances. So in a lot of our current circumstances, we face intense spiritual warfare. We've talked about that on a few occasions as well. The spiritual battles that we face on a daily basis, uh, battles that a, a lot of you are facing and going through right at this very moment, some of which we know of and some of which we don't, but we're all facing battles. So the question, again, you know, I, I like to ask a lot of questions as we go through this, something to consider is how can you be content in spiritual battle? How can you be content in the midst of battle? You know, and I, I think that's something to consider because, uh, you know, in, in how we face those battles and, and preparing for those battles, you know, taking God's scripture in Ephesians chapter six, we put on the full armor, we get prepared, but that we have to move forward and those battles are going to come. Those arrows are going to come. Those flaming darts from the enemy are going to come and attack. So how in the midst of a battle can we be content at ease spiritually? Warren Wearsby said contentment is not escape from the battle. And I think that's, that's important to understand. We don't be content by removing ourselves from the unfortunate circumstances. We can try, and we've probably done that. We've, we've run, we've, we've hidden, we've, we've changed things, so we're a little more comfortable. But what he's saying is contentment doesn't mean removing yourself from the battle. It's rather an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of battle. And I think that was a powerful word. A couple, a uh, few scriptures actually that speak to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So in the midst of going through life, God is going to provide everything you, keyword, need. <laughs> Not, I think another commentator said, not what you greed, but what you need. You know, again, we, we want a lot of things. We desire a lot of things, but he's going to supply everything we need. And that's not always going to look exactly as we expect. Let me give you another verse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when we look at that concept of money, that's a material possession financial possessions, physical possessions, whatever it is, we replace money with whatever material thing that we have. Don't be content in that because God will never leave us or forsake us. So what is he saying? Because God is there, because God is in us, in that we can be content. We could have nothing, literally nothing, and we should be able to find contentment. And that's what it says in 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I'll say that again. 1 John 4, 4. He that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know, so again, just three things that we've got to grasp a hold of. That our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and the fact that they take up residence within us 
all else is for naught because we have Christ, we have everything. And that's the big point. That's what Paul was under, that's what he came to understand through his life and what he's trying to convey now in this final uh, word to the church in Philippi is if we have Christ, we have everything. So in verse 12, he says, so if we, if we understand this, then he who is in us and what we have gained spiritually, nothing we could ever gain in this world should bring us any sense of deep satisfaction. So let me clarify. Will the things of this world bring us satisfaction? Yes, of course they will, but not deep satisfaction. Again, it's that conversation we had of the difference between happiness and joy, right? So the things of this world will provide quick momentary pleasure, momentary satisfaction, but then it fades away. Because if we put our trust in those things, they're not going to provide for us. We put our trust and hope in Jesus because he never leaves us, never forsakes us. We have everything that we need. Interesting passage of scripture I came across in, in regards to this. Paul is talking about being content. So regardless of your circumstance, if you're on the, the higher level of the echelon of economic status or you're on the lower end and, and have absolutely nothing. And I've, I've been in the midst of people who are on either side of the spectrum. I've I've sat in homes of the, you know, what we might call the extremely wealthy and seen all the things they had. And then I've also sat in homes and, and with people or literally on the street who had absolutely nothing. And there is a strong, uh, obviously, difference between the two. But I've also found similarities between the two. And that's what's interesting. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 says, give me neither poverty nor riches. So give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So people pine for wealth, people pine for the material gain, the, the riches, etc., because they think they're going to find comfort and contentment and joy in those things. But the reality is when you get so comfortable, you drop your guard. If you have everything the world could give you, you're still going to say, then I don't need anything else. I don't need God. I don't need anything that he can give me because I have it now. I have it here. So there's a, there's a, a, a lack of uh, depth to the, to the spiritual when you have a lot of things in, of this world. But on the reverse side of it, if you have nothing, materially nothing, you're literally homeless, or like I said, I, I've sat in homes, I've, I've been on, on mission trips to third world countries, and the uh, people caught literally, even in country, there's a town called Dangriga, Belize. It sits right on the coast. And I know a lot of people will talk about Belize as being the place to go to, right? And it is. You can go to Belize, you can go down, you can scuba dive. It's got some of the most beautiful water, beautiful coral reef. Uh, topping uh, Hawaii, topping a lot of those places, kind of the top of the list, some will go. But if you just, from, from that point where you can go and see some of the most beautiful water and fish and everything else in the world, you travel north up the coast, literally about an hour, and you'll be in what they call the armpit of Belize. And it literally is the poorest of the poor. You know, when people talk about shanty towns and cardboard houses and anything that they can find to build shelter, that's exactly what they had. Literally. So I sat in a home of, of an individual who, 
whose house literally teetered. You were you were uncertain about walking into the home because it was on stilts because of the you know the hurricanes and the flooding that could that could happen in that region. And so it was, but it, it was dirty. It was it was there was nothing. They had nothing. Uh, he welcomed in children from the community, and so therefore adopted four or five other children other than his own. So he had a you know somewhere up upwards to twelve, ten to twelve kids living in his home at one time. Uh, the parents uh, would declare that uh, they would have to decide on a week to week basis who would get to eat and who would not. I mean, imagine making that decision for for your children. Sorry, you don't get to eat for the next couple of days because they haven't eaten for a few. You know, those kind of decisions where they literally have nothing. But here's what the amazing thing is. Because this house that I sat in, he uh, was a pastor of the church in the community, in a neighboring community called Pomona, Belize. And he was one of the most joy-filled men I have ever been around. And so that, that comparison of the fact that they literally had nothing but yet even in the midst of having nothing, welcomed children into his home from the community. But because he had the Lord, he had everything. And it was just a beautiful visual of contentment. And, you know, I've been other places uh, a couple years, uh, a couple summers ago, I was in uh, uh, Africa. So again, seeing another aspect of the poorest of the poor in, in, in Zambia, Africa, and, and you, you actually ask and wonder, do these people fully understand how impoverished they are? And, and, and the answer is very clearly, yes, they do. <laughs> and it's amazing. But yet the joy that exudes knowing they're some of the most impoverished people on the planet are still filled with the joy because they have Jesus Christ. And so it's just an amazing thing. When you find contentment in Jesus, you have everything. And I've seen it with my own eyes. So again, both the material, the wealth, the poverty, either side, they're going to have their pitfalls. Again, if we rely on them. So again, this is not a, a, a word from the Lord to say you should not have things. Uh, again, I hope that's clear. Having things is not the problem. Making those things a priority in your life, worshiping those things, putting them in, in front of your relationship with Jesus. That's the problem, right? So let's move on. Verse 13, the, the verse of verses, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So where does our contentment come from? What have we been talking about thus far? The strength of our independence comes from our level of dependence on Christ, so how independent we can be of the things within society is going to come from our level and depth of dependence and how strongly we hold on to Jesus. And then in, in, in like fashion, our self-sufficiency, which is really when you look at the, the, the meaning of the word contentment, it means self-sufficiency, right? So our self-sufficiency is going to come from the one who is all-sufficient. If we have that perspective, if that's what we're, we're looking for. So our example is Jesus Christ. Back in chapter two, we talked about his level of humility and what he did, right? By giving up the, his heavenly glory, heavenly riches, the, the throne of thrones, right? And, and he came down and humbled himself and became the lowest of the low of society. You know, a carpenter's son. And, and yet in that, his father glorified him. You know, and so our earthly riches ultimately have zero, zero worth in God's economy. Our earthly riches have 
zero worth in God's economy. But on the reverse side, our heavenly wealth, our heavenly blessings that he wants to give us, he'll give us here and he'll give us when we are in glory. Okay? We'll have little to no worth from the world's perspective. So do we want that immediate uh, response from the world by what we have? Or do you want to live for the one who has everything and give the world a perspective that they don't have? You know, so that's what Paul's talking about. So when we look at that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's one that a lot of people will use. And a lot of people get upset because they're using it out of context. You can't do that just because you want more strength to win a game or whatever else. Shame on you for using that verse. Well, let's, let's first calm down. <laughs> and second, you know, looking at it in context of contentment and, and being rich in Jesus Christ we can see why we can do all things. That there isn't anything that we can't do if Christ is at the center of our focus and our purpose. So let's move on. Verses 14 through 16. Paul concludes and says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in the giving and receiving except you only. So what a commendation to a church who became the first one to truly partner with Paul in his ministry. And this gives us the missionary concept of what we have today and why we support missionaries both here and over there, wherever that over there might be, right? That's what's going on here. And so he's, he's commending the Philippian church for saying, you know, you blessed me when I was with you, but you also blessed, blessed me when I left you. That when he, Paul moved on in his journey to Thessalonica and other churches and other cities and towns, the Philippian church was still sending him gifts, still supporting him because they got it. They understood the mission, understood the purpose. So the extent of their partnership went beyond themselves. It went beyond their own church, beyond their own community, because they saw the, the worldwide reaching uh, purpose of living our life in Christ. And when they saw that in Paul, they continued to support him at all costs anywhere he went. And even now we're seeing that in prison, they're still supporting him and, and, and blessing him. So what Paul is saying is then what he, what he goes on to say is, God is going to bless you in return. He says, I didn't need the gift. I was, I'm thankful for it, but I'm more blessed of what you're going to receive in glory than what you've given to me. So he doesn't condemn their gift, but again, he, he commends their gift because they're doing it from the right perspective because God wants to bless us. And that's what he says in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he goes on in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So that's the thing. The, the gifts that we give, whatever it might be, should be for God's glory. You know, and, and again, if we're, if we're talking about the financial blessing, why we tithe, why we give our, our, our gifts to the church or, or support missionaries uh, in other countries or around the world. Again, it's because we understand the purpose of what they're doing in expanding the kingdom of God and, and expanding the gospel uh, word to other people. 
but the service and sacrifice, that's what Paul was referring to, right? When we give, when we bless, when we support others, it's a sacrifice because materially we understand that we may not have much, but we're still going to provide. And that's a sacrifice. That's why Paul would speak to the Roman church in chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or spiritual act of service. You know, and so uh, that, that gift that we can give doesn't just have to be financial gifts. It can be ourselves and how we use ourselves to glorify God and, and, and present him a gift in, in what we do and how we serve. It also can be how we speak of God. Hebrews chapter 13, going back there, verses 15 and 16 says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So just by blessing the Lord, by speaking uh, about him and in, in, in obviously in, in the right way to others is a gift of offering uh, to the Lord. And in verse 16, he goes on to say, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So again, that act of what we say, what we do, how we're used to expand the kingdom, again, all for God's glory. What is in the midst of all that? And what will we gain from that? Contentment joy because of why we're doing it and who we're doing it for. So sacrifice is given, yet blessings received. God does not withhold his blessings. That's why Paul went on to say, my God will supply all your needs. He will supply, but we got to remember we don't deserve blessings. We don't and shouldn't do things with the expectation of blessings. That's where a lot of people will get off track with the gospel, the prosperity gospel, things of that nature, because I do good, therefore I get. And, and the perspective is wrong because we should not expect that God is always going to bless us materially. If we give materially, we should not expect to be blessed materially. It's not how God works. He will bless us with what we need. And what we need may be the spiritual. So we could be without, and yet what he blesses us with is his peace, is joy, is contentment, because that's what we need in the midst of our circumstance. And we need to see those things as blessings, not only the tangible, the things that we can wrap our hands around. So with Christ as our focus, we're content. And what we've said from the beginning, the whole purpose of this letter, regardless of our circumstances, Amen. Regardless of our circumstances, we find contentment in Jesus Christ. And so in the last couple of verses, Paul just closes out, right? Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. So again, those that have come to remember Timothy was there. Epaphroditus was there. They're greeting them. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. So it, it kind of brings to light that uh, maybe some of those prison guards that Paul led to Christ <laughs> are now part of the church and are sending their blessings and greetings. But he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit and closes out the letter to the Philippian church.